and welcome to another episode of That's Why We Read, a podcast by literacy educators for literacy educators. I'm Toby Thompson. I'm Sarah Ramsey. And I'm Ingrid Massey. Today we're going to talk, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about, um, each of us has picked a favorite strategy and we're going to talk about what that strategy is and the research behind it, why it helps students uh, with with reading comprehension. So who of you beautiful ladies would like to go first? <laughs> I think we should start off by discussing why we decided to talk about reading strategies today. Um, in our previous two podcasts, we talked about some... Three. Three? This is four. Oh, wow. Uh, we've talked about some uh, reading or literacy education research that is um, not not necessarily actual educational research, but journalistic research. And some of those journalists are referring to skills and strategies interchangeably as if those two words mean the same thing. And we clarified a little bit last week that they do not, in fact, mean the same thing, that skills are very different from strategies. And um, uh, so we're going to talk about strategies today. To clarify, skills are automatic behaviors, things that we do and perfect over time. Um, typically, when you think of a skill, there is a right or wrong answer. And we will all ultimately come up with the same answer or end result, whereas a strategy is more of a process or a thoughtful behavior that we are, uh, again, perfecting our abilities to do these things, but based on um, various criteria, background knowledge, experiences, um, literary knowledge, those things are going to determine how we employ a strategy and the end result will be different for each of us depending on those experiences and our prior knowledge. And a strategy is self-leveling. So a student is going to be able to put whatever he or she has into it. And if, if a student has less background knowledge than another student, that's perfectly fine. Um, Strategies are also not worksheets. Mm-hmm. A worksheet has a right or a wrong and a wrong answer. A strategy, like I said, is something that the student puts whatever he or she knows into it. So there's a difference between not only between strategies and skills, but also between strategies and worksheets. And I think because the the researcher, as you said, was a journalist when they were looking at the teachers, they're noticing that the teachers are using ineffective teaching or instructional, um, they have ineffective or instructional choices that they're making. And so, and then they're labeling those things strategies, whereas in education, we have actual strategies that we use and we teach to students. And what we don't want is teachers or students that are going to go into the field getting the message that, all the instructional strategies that they've been taught are useless and they're not helpful because they are backed up by research. They were chosen because they are helpful to students based on actual quantifiable research. So um, we just want to make sure that we're clarifying that. And you brought up an interesting thing where you said 
a strategy is a process by which students um, get to where they're going. And I, um, in this Fisher and, Fisher and Fry, they're one of their most recent instructional, I noticed they changed instructional strategies to develop content literacy in their third edition book from Pearson, but they call it instructional routines. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things they said is, you may have noticed that we use the term routine rather than strategy. It is a deliberate choice on our part and one that we hope will clarify our intent. Um, And they said a strategy is something a learner does in effort to gain meaning, solve a problem, and so on. Processes uh, such as visualizing, determining importance, making connections are examples of strategies. Instructional routines, on the other hand, are deliberate acts that the teacher utilizes to foster those comprehension strategies. And they're talking about the things we're going to talk about today. I think there is, there's a lot of conversation mm-hmm. about that where it goes back and forth. Um, but just know that people in the field refer to some of the str- things we're going to talk about today as both strategies and instructional routines. So it's it's a little like being in different, and we've talked about this, in different parts of the country. Some people call it Coke, some people call it soda, some people call it pop. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the same thing. And so even though today, you know, Fisher and Fry might call it an instructional routine and we're calling it a strategy, we mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you've been really students. good to refer to these routines at, or procedures as tools, to use them as yeah. a tool in your tool belt when yeah. you are having um, either having trouble understanding new information or just trying to work through and process new information, what tool do you need to help you be a successful reader? And right. I think that's, you know, tools and resources. These are things that are routines, things that help us understand what we're reading to get to, you know, this end goal and it's going to look a little bit different for each of us, how, yeah. how we use those tools. and Because they're so open-ended mm-hmm. in the sense that they can be adapted. I just recently taught a class where I had students who were teaching kindergarten and some that were teaching eighth grade. And they could both use the anticipation guide with their five-year-olds and with their 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of a really good strategy or as you know, Fisher and Fry say, an instructional routine, however, whatever, a graphic organizer, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, the idea is, is that students can use it no matter what age they are or what background they have. And that's also the great thing about differentiating in your own classroom is that everybody can contribute to the anticipation guide if they're sitting out there, even though they may have limited background knowledge. They can still put into it what they already know and start the process of becoming um, a, a strategic reader. So, yeah. Okay. So who would like to go first? Not everybody at once. Uh, <laughs> I'll go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I picked a couple, but the one that I really want to talk about today, I, I settled on this one because it's something that I find myself doing very informally as I read new information just to help me process that information. And it's called the verbatim split page procedure or VSPP. It's essentially a study strategy, but uh, I notice that I use a similar strategy to this if I'm just reading a new journal article or a textbook. Um, I, I use something very similar. The, the purpose behind this is that it helps students take notes um, while they're either 
I guess initially it was used when you're listening to a lecture or, you know, watching a lecture if you're at an online class and it's recorded. Uh, it just helps you organize your notes so the information will be helpful later. The idea behind the verbatim split page procedure is you divide the paper 40-60. Uh, 40% of your notes are going to be uh, verbatim, exactly either what you read, a quote from an article, or what the instructor said. 60% of that is going to be your interpretation of what you read or heard. So, or an expansion on that. What did it make you think? So, um, this is where I will use it a lot if I'm reading a textbook or an article, um, you know, not even necessarily taking notes in that 40-60 process, but I will highlight important things as I'm reading and then in the margins write how I connected with that information or what it means to me, how it affects me. So um, I will say I'm not a great auditory learner. I'm definitely very visual. So it is helpful for me to go back and then see, okay, this is what was said. And as I was reading or as I was listening, this is how I interpreted that information, why it's important to me, how it relates to my current practice. So I don't use it necessarily as a study strategy because thank goodness at this point in my life, I'm not studying very much anymore, <laughs> but it's just a process to help me sort of um, summarize the information that I got from whatever I was reading. Uh, so would you clarify how you set your paper up? You said 40% and 60%. 40, so is that hot dog or is that hamburger? Well, I would do it a lopsided hot dog because it's not going to be 50-50. So you wouldn't fold your paper in half. You would fold it, you know, I wouldn't say get out your ruler, but some people <laughs> might need to get out a ruler. But I would fold it um, not quite half and half. So you have your... 40% uh, section on the left-hand side of your paper, and that's the verbatim section or column where you're going to write down exactly what you heard or, or the exact statement, quote, that you read. Put that on the left side in the 40% column, and then on the right side is your 60% column, and that's your interpretation of what you read or heard. Um, how you connect to that information, what it means to you, how you expand on that. So that's the 40-60%. Did I explain that clearly enough? Yes. Okay. When I taught high school, I used this with the novels that we read, mm. only I called it a dialogue journal. So oh, yes, it is oh, very same, similar to a dialogue same journal. Same procedure. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's one thing you will notice about a lot of these uh, strategies or routines is that there are similar, they have some, some, some of them have similarities, and that's because teachers have then adapted them or, uh, you know, practitioners have adapted them to use it in a slightly different situation, but the idea is still the same. You're getting yeah. students to interact with what they're reading, so I love that one. Yeah. All right. It's been a long time since I've seen that one, but it, it's inspiring me. I'm like, I need to put that in my one of my classes Instead of having them do one of the other strategies, I'm like freshen it up mm -hmm. and use that strategy. I, I do them. use this as an option. In one of the classes I teach, they have several options of strategies they can select to use for the reading that week. And this mm -hmm. is one in one of the modules that I, I find. Great. I find that people, you know. And that's the nice thing about strategies is there are lots to choose from. You can find many that work for you. 
Um, the other thing that I know I mentioned in a previous podcast is I like to tell my students that you we need to use the strategies to work for us instead of us working for them. Don't force yourself into a box that you have to do something so regimented and so step-by-step that it's awkward or uncomfortable or not helpful, Mm -hmm. Uh, but take it and modify it to make it work for you. The whole idea is that you have a tool to help you process new information to be more informed in the end. So however that looks is, you know, it's going to vary from person to person, but find a tool or a resource that you can use and make it work for you. Okay. Well, I, like you, had problems choosing a favorite strategy. <laughs> but the, one of my go-tos that I use all the time is the anticipation guide. I talked about it a little bit earlier. It's very versatile. There's so many ways to adapt it. You can use it with nonfiction and fiction, although my favorite is to use it with um, uh, nonfiction. And basically, it allows students to start accessing their prior knowledge And I think what is a boon for teachers is that it also allows us to quickly assess what our students know or don't Mm. know. So, so many times I've planned a great lesson, I've done an anticipation guide, and I'm like, I realize they know a lot of this information. So this lesson is probably going to go much more quickly than I had planned for it to go. Or it's going to need to be moved into two or three lessons because they don't know any of this information. So basically to explain it, the teacher comes up with seven to 10 true or false statements from the text that they're reading. So say you're reading a book on whales, um, you write 10 or, or seven to 10 true or false statements from your text. And then right next to that are two boxes, one that says yes, one that says no, or one that says true, one that says false. And the students read those statements before they ever read the text. And you see, what do you know before? Um, And then they either choose yes or no, or true or false. And then when they read, they've actually already opened up the, you know, proverbial file folder in their brain on whales and this is what they thought and this is what actually when when they come across that statement in the text they go oh i was right or i was not right and then immediately we can say oh what did we just learn so it's like they're set up to notice what they're learning along the way the great thing about this too is i have noticed with my older students when i do this they hate this because they don't want to be wrong so Mm -hmm. we get to have a great conversation about That's not the purpose of this strategy. The purpose of the strategy is not for you to get an A plus and a smiley face sticker and get everything right. It's what do you already know? Because if you end up going down this list and knowing all of these for sure, then this probably isn't a book you need to read. Mm -hmm. If there are some things here that you don't know, that's great news because you are going to learn something when you read. This is not about being perfect it's about learning and so um and then at the end of it they um have another side where they uh on on the other side of true or false they can go back afterwards and they can reassess themselves they can read through the list again and then answer did your answer change from yes to no or no to yes um and i really like this as well because like i said it's very adaptable one of my kindergarten teachers 
that was in one of my graduate classes, she used this and she said, I just use red or yellow or red or green construction paper on popsicle sticks. And my students either held up a red or a green for yes or no. And we did it as a whole class. And so she wrote the sentences on sentence strips and then um, they put their answers up and um, and she goes, and then afterwards they answered their questions again. So you got some movement in with those little kiddos, which I loved as well. Yeah, um, so and asking them to record their answers on a piece of paper mm-hmm. that they can't even read at this point is right. It's, 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 it's them, pointless. So, yeah. um, and so a lot of times, you know, and then you can stop too if you have the time or if your students are ready for this. You can ask them, oh, how do you know that? How do you know? You're absolutely sure you're holding that green up. You know that. Where have you, have you heard this before? You know, and then they start to learn how to make connections to, oh, I saw this in a documentary. Oh, I went somewhere where I learned this. Oh, I've already read a book about this. And so you can start to make them aware of you're So you're making a text-to-text connection. And they may not get it perfectly the first time you do that, but the more of that language you layer in, they start to understand, oh, I'm making a connection to other things. So I just love, it's a great springboard for all of those conversations and that interaction. And one of the things in one of my classes that I have students do is interview a teacher who teaches content area literacy. And and every single answer from every single teacher is when they ask, what is the hardest thing about your job? They always say, keeping the students engaged. And I want to say to them all the time, get some instructional routines, get some strategies, because that is what keeps the students engaged. And I'm not talking about, you know, I always say this, it's not Disney World fun day every time we we read a book, but instructional uh, strategies and routines allow students to stay with you Mm -hmm. and stay in the conversation. And it allows you to see, oh, if they're not holding up their stick in its kindergarten, or if they didn't answer the questions, or if they didn't get the right answers on the uh, you know when they did it at the end then then we're I'm losing them somewhere along the way and it allows me to either pull them in via conversation um get them to maybe lead the discussion like it allows you to get a lot of feedback as a teacher and know where they are and what they're learning and that they're staying engaged because that's the point you want them to understand and we know this how many times have you set down a book? You're like, ah, it's not working tonight. I'm not getting this information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, oh, I need to pull out a strategy. Reading it alone is not going to get me there, you know. And that is we're monitoring our own comprehension. And we're able to do that because we know strategies and we know, okay, I'm going to have to pull out something tonight to make this work. I'm not just going to be able to read it and get it. Um, and so we ourselves are using the very thing we're, we're trying to help our students do. And that's what we want them to understand. Strategies and routines help, help focus students' reading, too. They know they're, they're given a purpose for why oh, exactly. that's a great they're reading. Point. Um, the beauty with the anticipation guide, too, is that it encompasses all the stages of reading, the before, during, and after mm-hmm. reading. You have some kind of active engagement all the way through. Yeah. And I do love a, a killing two birds with one stone. Absolutely. Kind of. All teachers do. So yep. you're like, anything I can get that the student does it all the way through and it's just one thing is great because it, it helps smooth that road to comprehension for sure. I chose a modified, it says, I say so strategy. Kylie Beers is the one who originally came up with the, it says, I say so. Um, and it, 
her purpose for it was to make thinking visual. It's a visual form of the connections between what's happening in the text and what's happening in the reader's mind. Um, I modified this to use with my graduate students in the dyslexia class that I teach uh, because I was finding that a lot of the strategies that they were doing, they were, they were, it's going to sound really bad, but they were trying to get away with doing the least amount of work possible, mm -hmm. which yeah. means that they're not learning what they should be learning. And these are practitioners in the classroom who are supposed to be helping Students. kids who yeah. struggle with reading. So I modified it just a little bit. Um, instead of just three columns, I have, I have basically four sections. So three columns. The first column is questions. And for, for my grad class, I told them to turn the chapter headings and subheadings into questions. Mm -hmm. So that's guiding their reading. They've got, a, they've got a purpose for reading. They're trying to answer these questions. Right. For younger kids, you could create the questions for them so that they've got a purpose for reading. Yeah. Um, the I say column, they, before they ever get into reading, they try to answer those questions and explain how they know that information or why they think they know that information. And I think that's effective because we can get to the root of, well, did you learn this from an article you found on Wikipedia that has been updated in the last 24 hours mm -hmm. and it's not accurate any longer? Did you find this from a research journal? Yeah. It, it allows them to evaluate their sources oh, yeah. more, right. makes it more, more um, apparent. Um, and it lets me know what kind of background in information they already have or, or don't have. And then while they're reading, they complete the it says column. So what does the text say about the questions? You're, you're linking that with textual evidence so that they can then compare what the text says with what they thought they knew and kind of like your anticipation guide, check whether they really knew the information <laughs> or if they were just blowing smoke. Right. And then at the bottom, I have a section that says, and so, and at the, that's where they put together the information from all of their questions from that chapter, all of their I says, all of their it says, and come up with a summary, a, a summary of the chapter. It allows them to make inferences. It allows them to summarize. It allows them to see how all of those little pieces of knowledge fit together to form a, a whole understanding. Yeah. Um, We've talked about that schema. Like, exactly. That's, that's what you're building when you read. And that you're trying to make students aware, like, this isn't, we're not trying to be cruel and have you read mm -hmm. a chapter that we should have 40 pages long. We're trying to help you to get, glean the information from it so that you can actually be a, um, a strong practitioner who enjoys their job and who helps students, right? Exactly. Um, you know, it, and this isn't one of the easiest strategies to use. It it should be, if you're doing it with high school, middle school, or elementary kids, you'd want to introduce it with something that, that students already know, like maybe a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And you'd model the brainstorming of the questions and kind of like a KWL chart. What do you already, what do you already know yeah. about it? What, is, yeah. what do you say? Um, a lot of kids have issues making those inferences, so you would have to model how to make the inferences 
Um, and you bring up an excellent point that you want to use with all instructional strategies or routines. That is, you have to do it with them as a whole group before they ever do it by themselves. I think one of the mistakes that I see so often is I'll go into a classroom and a teacher will just put down a KWL chart in front of a kid and be like, okay, do your KWL charts when you read. And I'm like, they only better be doing those if you have done lots of modeling and lots of KWL charts with them before. And then you should be reading those KWL charts. And if they make you cringe, go back <laughs> and reteach this because this isn't just a worksheet that we're, we're not trying to turn these uh, graphic organizers into another worksheet mm-hmm. so that you get time to sit at your desk. This should be time on task, teacher up, talking Active with learning. students. And you will find, and I had to do this myself as a teacher. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. If they could just do this themselves, then hallelujah. And what I realized was if I wanted more time at the end of the year with strong students who were learning, I needed to put in a lot of time at first mm-hmm. going, all right, here's our giant KWL chart up on the wall. What do we know already? And then I would ask specific people because I knew who wasn't talking to me and who was, who wanted to share everything that they knew and all those <laughs> sorts of things. Um, and I would do things like at first I would just put everything down, but then I would start to get picky and be like, well, that sounds a lot like what we've already set up here. So we've got that taken care of, friends. Let's come up with something else. Like you get harder and harder, not on them, but on the information that they're sharing because you're trying to cultivate what it is they're thinking. Like, okay, try again. No, I'm not. You're not in this class. You're not just going to get away with whatever you want to spew and put I'm going to put it up just filling the page right and that's what so many students will do because I'll see teachers do this too oh don't worry I'm going to do a KWL chart but they have to put at least three things on every letter no they're gonna (laughs) they may not know three things and they may not know three things and even if they did they some of them are just making up stuff Mm -hmm. you're like no you need to be there instructional routines include instruction (laughs) so if you're not doing some instruction and it's not an instructional strategy or an instructional routine. It's just you giving them a glorified worksheet. Ingrid and I had that happen to us two days ago. We were doing a professional development at College Bound Academy in Tulsa. Yeah. And we were talking about doing a, a Venn diagram with oral language, PA, and phonics. Mm. And I saw some blank looks. They weren't really they, they knew what a Venn diagram was with two circles, but, oh, but they, they didn't never seen a three. <laughs> three. Three circle Venn. So she took a step back and she explained this, you know, this part means this and this part means this and where these two overlap is this and where these two overlap is this and where they all three. Yeah. And then I mean people started to pick you up yeah. have to, because they came the teachers there come from all different kinds of backgrounds. So yeah. they I'm always surprised, Vin and KWL, I feel like everyone should have seen those at some time. If they went to a decent school of any kind, you should have seen those at some point. And I am always shocked when I teach my young undergrads and I go, all right, we're going to start with the KWL, the very basic, you know, strategy. And they'll just look at me like, what? And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You've never, and I'll put it up there. I'm like, oh, you just don't remember it. So I'll put it up there. And I would say 50% of them have never even seen it. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> Do you know when I first saw a KWL chart or a no. Venn diagram? When? When I started teaching it in Are SU. Are you serious? Serious. Oh, 
because we didn't do those kinds of things in secondary English education. Oh, I guess that's true. Not in secondary. Um, Well, but you know what? You make it interesting. So you were talking about, you know, teachers are not all, we do not all have the same pathway to the classroom. Um, Meaning, you know, if you're a science ed, your, your training looks completely different than an early childhood educator. Um, but one of the things that I thought it was interesting that they, that Fisher and Fry were talking about in their book, they were like, literacy, we all acknowledge literacy is the key to success in school and throughout life. When we started in this profession, we were told all teachers are teachers of reading. And then they go, and I thought, uh, and of course, I agree with that. We've said that. But then they go on to say this. We challenged that assumption. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, excuse me? And they said, having altered our thinking to accept that reading, writing, speaking, listening, and viewing are all ways, are all the ways that humans learn. And as such, every teacher needs it, these instructional routines or strategies um, because it engages all of these literacy processes. So when you think about a KWL, what are you doing? Yes, you're writing, but you're also viewing. Mm-hmm. You're also discussing. Speaking. You're yeah. also, you know, you're doing all of the things. That's what's so great. And that's why we are not offended, but when someone says that an instructional routine or strategy is trash and we're not going to use it anymore, you're like, whoa, 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 hold your horses there, friend. You do not know what you're talking about. We need these um, instructional strategies and routines in our classrooms. It's how teachers have conversations with students. And I think this all the time. I don't know if you've ever been at a party where you don't have good conversationalists. Well, what's one way to get the party going? You're like, you play a game where people start talking. Well, besides that, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You can't see what Ingrid did and you shouldn't. But... Well, that makes me sound like a horrible person. No, I don't mean it like that, but I'm like, she was children. just drinking her tea. <laughs> just drinking my children, tea. Children shouldn't do that anyway. But what I mean is, is that um, you, you, where if, you, if you've been to a good party where there's a good hostess that knows how to, or a host that's like, oh, have you met this person? Or you, they get people talking, they get people moving, they, they break down barriers by getting people to laugh. That's what an instructional strategy does. In the classroom, because I mean, how many of you have, have you ever walked into a classroom and you're like, today we're going to discuss ocean currents? What does everybody know about ocean currents? Even if you're talking through it, kids are just going to sit there and look at you. But if you start with a list group label and you're like, any words you can tell me right now, go about oceans, and kids start throwing out words, and then you're like, okay, take all those words, put them on sticky notes, and I want you to arrange them. How? Anyway, whatever you think they have in common. What makes sense? And you? now kids are talking and they're up and they're moving and we're getting somewhere with this information. And now when we open the textbook and we start to talk about it, they're actually ready to learn something. It's like they've been to a good party. They're like, okay, we're the blood is pumping. People are thinking. They're talking. You well, can't just sit there. Well, kids who don't know anything about ocean currents are still interacting uh-huh. and, and learning. They're building their background information at that point. Yeah, so what that, is it? Led by Gotsky, you're like, yeah. you're mm-hmm. in the room with a more knowledgeable other that is helping you start to, oh, I didn't know, you know, that word, but, you know, plankton. But now that my friend has talked about it and somebody said, what's that? Because I was too shy to ask. I was in that group and now I know what plankton is. And somebody knows that from watching Spongebob. <laughs> they do, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, I was thinking Little Mermaid, but yes. Well, you yes. Know. But the idea is, is that you're starting, the kids are starting to talk and, and you realize, oh, this is how knowledge 
is pass. I mean, it, that's really all that TikTok is, is just people passing on information. You know, I was today years old when I learned, you know, that kind of thing. And half the time you're like, I just learned that today too. So, um, you know, that's how knowledge is passed. And we don't, we don't allow for that in our classrooms a lot because, and I get it, a lot of teachers tend to be not introverts, but we, we are calm and methodical and we have to be to do the job that we do and to not let the chaos get to, like to help us lead students through all the curriculum and everything that they have to do that year with all of the other things that come into the classroom. But um, we do have to realize that sometimes we have to get kids up and we have to get them talking. Learning and, is and noisy. It is, yeah. It has, I mean, by its very nature, if you're going to build knowledge in students brains it's going to be noisy it's going to be messy it's mm-hmm. going it's not going to be quiet I had a principal that I interviewed with one time who um, it was for a ninth grade English position I, I got the job but yeah. uh, he, he said so when I walk by your classroom is it going to be quiet or is mm-hmm. it going to be noisy and I said it's going to be noisy yeah. and he said I'm staying away from your classroom then because I don't think that that Learning is noisy. Students yeah. should be sitting at their desks. They should be reading and they should be writing. I said, "Well, I'm not that kind of teacher, so yeah. you might want to reconsider." <laughs> what? But he you hired you anyway. <laughs> well, another principal had hired me, oh, but okay. he was on the the hiring committee. Well, so. we know kids learn through talking. Yeah, uh, especially our youngest kiddos. We cannot expect them to sit in their desks quietly for six and a half hours out of the day okay but i will tell you just and i think maybe we even talked about this before but it bears repeating here oh i had a a a teacher that i had in a class so she's already in the classroom and we were talking about taking these strategies or these routines and making them more active Mm -hmm. and she has said it never occurred to me to bring objects and let my kids get up and talk and move with these things to learn more about the topic that she was teaching. And I just, I I was like, what? And she goes, I like to learn by sitting and reading and highlighting. And I said, you do now. <laughs> but, but when you were six. But when you were six, you didn't. And she goes, and she goes, honestly, I'm glad I, she goes, I'm glad I took this class because it probably helps me realize why I had so many behavior issues with my kindergartners mm-hmm. this year. And I was absolutely. like, absolutely. She goes, I never thought about, you know, turning sticks into answer questions so they could move their hands. Or she goes, but now I'm like, oh, just with some simple changes, I think they will be more invested and in the lesson and we will have fewer behavior issues. And I was like, oh, yeah, like you have to understand in development um, like, for example, I tell my adult students, adults don't like you to look over their shoulder when they're working. In a younger classroom, little kids want to share what they're learning. Mm-hmm. So when you walk around and you, they want to say, like, this is, you know, Mrs. Ramsey, I did this. Look at this. Look. And when you walk up to a group of adults, they immediately stop talking. So I, when I took a, a That's close, usually because they're off task and they don't <laughs> want you to know. Well, <laughs> for whatever reason, but you're like... Oh, I learned when I took my andragogy class, they were like, do not walk up to a group of teachers. They do not want, or not just, uh, not teachers, adults. adults. They don't want you looking over their shoulder because they immediately feel judged. Mm 
mm-hmm. by what they're saying. So even sometimes when I walk up to students that I know are on task and I've heard them talking and I'm going to encourage them, they'll be like, is that right? Did I say that right? And I'm like, my first graders never asked me if they were right. They were like, that duck has, da, da, da. they would just, you know, <laughs> and I would be like, actually, no, that is not, you know, how that works. But um, yeah, I mean, you just realize different ages, mm-hmm. different stages need different things. Um, and we have to be aware of that as teachers and uh, adjust these strategies accordingly. Well, and, and teachers have a tendency to teach the way they learn. Mm-hmm. And we, especially in today's society that's raised on technology, we can't teach. I can't go into a classroom and teach the way I learn. Mm-hmm. I I mean, if I did, I'm standing up there lecturing and, you know, everybody's going to be on their computers or doing something else, not paying attention. So we've got yeah. to remember that. Well, and I think all the time, I mean, think back to when you were children and I remember my mom falling asleep on a Friday night when we had finally all gotten in our pajamas, taken our baths. We had our food, our, our popcorn. We were watching a movie. We had rented at Blockbuster. And I was like, loser. She's asleep on the couch. It's 7.30. When I am older, I'm going to rage every Friday night. And now, you know what? I go home and I'm like, I need to sleep. Except it hits on Thursdays now. Yeah. But the idea is, is that it's on Monday. Mondays. I start Monday going to bed. But at you realize o'clock. you're like, oh, when I was younger, I'd be like, I'm going to every amusement park. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to eat everything. I'm going to. And now you're like, I can't eat. I can't eat that much dairy. Like, and you realize you're like, <laughs> not oh, after being four an o'clock. adult. Can't yeah. have caffeine. I can't have today. caffeine. I'll be jittery tonight. And you're like, oh my gosh. That is why. Things that, and what I mean is, is things that work for you as an adult do not, are not what children need. Mm-hmm. So if I told children, you know, you can't have dairy after, you know, this time, or you can't do this or that, they feel very limited by that, whereas it works really well mm-hmm. for me. So you just have to remember, and I tell my students this all the time, you can, when I'm saying these sounds, you can see these words in your head because you're already literate. Yes. Children cannot. Yes. So you have to keep in mind they are viewing this experience very differently than you assume they are viewing it. So you have to get in their head. One thing Toby mentioned that I think, and I know we're running close to the end of our time here and we could talk for days, Mm -hmm. um, but you said something about your strategy being a hard strategy Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. students. And I think that's an important lesson for us to learn is that learning new information isn't necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. Working through these these tools or or resources or whatever we want to call them is difficult because we're learning something mm-hmm. new. We are gaining information. And if it's super easy, like you said, we didn't get anything from it. Right. So it they can be hard. But it's because we're teaching our students how to think critically, Mm -hmm. how to look for that information, so it will be easy down the road for them. I think about a a seventh grade science teacher that I had that made us write notes with, like, you know, point A, little a, like all the Roman numerals, the whole thing. Outline. And I, yes, I mean, hardcore. And I remember thinking at first, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, first of all, she's writing this all on the board. And I'm like, get up, do some experiments. And now I look back and I thank her because 
that experience helped me learn how to organize and take because notes. Because she modeled and organized I'm thinking. sure it wasn't her favorite thing to do either, but she and she would always tell us, I am preparing you mm-hmm. so that you understand how chapters are formed and what the information th- this author did not just nilly-willy throw this information in a book in a in a chapter. They had a plan. Here's how the plan goes. This will also help you remember this information because mm-hmm. you'll know what it's nested up under so you'll understand what the overarching thought process was here with all of these terms. And she was right. I Plus, mean, you were handwriting, not uh-huh. typing, which gets it into your working and memory that is, a whole lot harder. Speaking faster. of research, that is actual research. Look it up. Children or students who write new information are much more likely to learn it than students who type it up. And so, hmm. what do you know? What do you know? Some of the old ways still work better. <laughs> We're starting to sound like our mothers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ladies have anything else you would like to say on the topic of strategies or instructional routines? I'm going to say one more thing that uh, I thought of when Toby was talking about her strategy and you mentioned using it the first time like with a fairy tale or something. There is evidence that shows that when you are introducing a new strategy or routine to introduce it with familiar text. So mm-hmm. all your brain power can be spent on learning the the process of the procedure that you're doing and not on gathering new information. That's so you use it with familiar text. Once you've learned how to use the strategy, then you can begin applying it in new text. Yeah. And um, w- I know you said we'll link these strategies yes. in the show notes, but one thing I would always rec- I always recommend to my students is readingrockets.com has a whole tab called classroom strategies they even have videos and pdfs of those graphic organizers linked one of my favorites there is list group label do yourself a favor and watch that video the teacher does a masterful job of teaching that strategy or using that strategy in her classroom and then adlit.org which stands for adolescent literacy um, that has a some great strategies all listed there as well. So if you're looking for some um, inspiration on new strategies, those are two great places to start. And I'll link those, like you said, in the yeah. show notes great. so that you have access to them. All right. Anything else? Nope. Good. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week with... Something new. (laughs) (laughs) We'll all be on the same page. That's why we we read. read. (laughs) I caught it there. (laughs)